0: Episode 43 of the Fan Engagement Pod is a very timely chat with former CEO of sports marketing firm Synergy Global, Tim Crow. He now does a variety of things, including advising other sports brands and clubs. In his spare time, he's a fan of Halifax Town. Given the talk of a European Super League, this episode is a great bit of insight into the world of sports marketing, the psychology of clubs, and particularly some of the foul-ups that get committed by brands and rights holders when they want to get involved. Listen out for the story about the chant laureate. The conclusion from this one is pretty straightforward. You need to listen to your fans because it makes commercial sense as well as just being the right thing to do. Don't forget we've got loads of other episodes. Episode 4 of Baz Chat is now out with Baz Schneider. Listen via the usual channels. Search Fan Engagement Pod. And if you're a club from the top four divisions of English men's football, don't forget... We've sent out data collected for the Fan Engagement Index 2019-2020 season for comment. The index will be published at the end of this month. That's April. And don't forget, Fan Insights will soon become Think Fan Engagement. Keep an ear out for more and join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. The stuff is the future. The stuff is the future. The stuff is the future. I, I, um, we we met a few years ago. I've got your I've actually got your LinkedIn page up because you've done so much. <laughs> you're your uh, well, I think to be honest, I think it was communications professions tend to be very. They always say it's about public relations, but I think it's the same for anyone who works in communications. Is that we're magpies? We we like we like to kind of. Uh, Go around all sorts of different things sample different things take different experiences
1: yeah
0: i'm what well, i will was i'll put it in in the bio um in the episode um people can have a look but you've done an awful lot if i tried to start listing it i <laughs> have to finish the podcast so, um, at the moment though you 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 essentially have your own consultancy business called crow business services your own company um, and yeah. And then you're on the board of a few other. Not you're a Ned at Wilson Cook, non-executive director. For those who don't realise, board advisor at Championship Horse, Horse Racing, and you're also business manager for Mia Stelberg.
1: Yeah, um, the world's leading esports psychologist. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Now, that's something that people
0: <laughs> didn't think would exist a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. I think we were just talking off um, uh, off recording, as it were, and 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 we was you know you were talking about how people didn't think telly would really take off when it came to football and the, you know things move on nothing nothing stays the same there is
1: That's no right yeah,
0: yeah. stasis is that the right yeah there is no such thing as stasis it doesn't yeah. is um so so loads of things that you do uh, speakers for schools looks fascinating um uh, and all sorts of other stuff you've been a columnist um the, the, the when i the, well the reason that um that i wanted to talk to you or we'll have a chat with you tim was um sports marketing sports marketing is something that fascinates me sometimes it slightly annoys me um <laughs> some people get a ball because they look at it and think why are you doing with that why are you why are you choosing to do it that way or you know um
1: and yeah, it can be very irritating if you get it wrong yeah I mean, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, professionally i'm you know i'm i've I'm been in sports marketing 30 years now and um you know I've seen some really I've been involved with some really really good stuff, and I've seen some really really bad stuff and it can be as you say you kind of look look at someone and you think, well, how did that happen? you know who was in that meeting <laughs> <laughs> yeah now that's okay
0: so that that's that's sort of essentially the premise on which I've got you on there yeah um and the the thing I also like is and I find this actually with quite a lot of people who work. In sort of communications and, and that kind of areas, you often find that they support, they're, they're the supporter of just a bog standard ordinary club. And sorry to um <laughs> to out there are Halifax Town fans, but Tim is a Halifax Town fan.
1: Yeah, and,
0: um, 51 years and counting. 51 years and counting every minute of it. The first the game I
1: saw, I was eight, seven years old. And we drew nil-nil with Bradford City. Who would not develop a lifelong passion for a club (laughs) after seeing that?
0: (laughs) And I sort of like to think to some extent that that's a really good sort of basis to be advising other people on how to market sport, because you see it right up close. Yeah, You haven't stood, you know, um, you haven't sat in the comfy... I'm sure you have sat in the comfy seats at a a very fancy stadium, but you know, pr- predominantly your experience is stood on a terrace on a wet Tuesday evening watching your side draw nil-nil. Not that that means that you have a right to talk about things because you yeah. can still get it wrong. But I like to think that that sort of helps you to at least understand the genuine experience of fans when they then see how the sport is marketed at them um, or to yeah, them. Yeah, and do
1: you, know, do you know what? There's something really interesting about that. So the f- I think the first is that... Um, you know, going back to when I was growing up. So when, you know, we would, we would watch Halifax, but we'd occasionally go and watch Leeds, you know, that great Leeds team, or we'd occasionally go and watch United, Manchester United, um, because Halifax is sort of in the middle of, you know, Leeds and, and Manchester. And um, the, the, the thing that, you know, the, the, the experience that you've got at Halifax, I know this is going to sound really weird to some people who are, who are younger, but the experience that you got at the Shea and the experience that you got at Ellen Road and Old Trafford was not that different. It really was not that different. It was merely scale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the difference is so vast between the two experiences. And I have to say, one of the reasons, I mean, I haven't seen Halifax play for a, a, a long time um, because of, you know, you know what. But one of the reasons I do love it is it does take me back <laughs> to when football was a very different experience, and yes. um, in many ways, uh, in in many ways a better experience. In many ways a worse experience. It was it, it was very dangerous, as we all know. And mm. the changes that were made because of the safety of sports grounds that were absolutely necessary. But um, but yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting that one. Mm. No, well, no then... one could call me a glory hunter. That's what. I'm <laughs> Well,
0: I, interestingly, just as a as a smaller side, is the first, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to get punished if I don't uh, get this right. Our first league match in 1977, Wimbledon, when we got elected to the league, was against Halifax. It was certainly our first home match. It was a 4 Right. right. I yeah, it. I remember it very well, yeah. So, so, you know, there's. I like to think there's some connection there, Tim. Um, yeah. But the thing about this, this thing about the experiences, and maybe this kind of talks to the, Subject to sports marketing, it really does. It really it does, does, actually. Yeah, and you start to go well. So if so, if someone's trying to market something to, let's say, a you know a top a top league one side, you know, you get some pretty big. I'm not even necessarily talking about Sunderland, but you know, you get some pretty big clubs at, at that level. Versus marketing to some club at the Premier League level, where you've got the accompanying globe at, at least attempt at global, yeah. one, not global reach. Then the, t- the two conversations that go on between the marketing company, brand, what have you, the representative of the brand and the football club um, as the rights holder, don't, they, the, 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 would you say that um, they, will, they will approach League One club in exactly the same way as they'd approach, approach um, uh, Premier League club and that there's a mistake in there because actually the experiences are so different now? that you you know you just kind of you're sort of putting a square peg in a round hole to something yeah
1: yeah look i mean i think in some ways the conversation is the same in some ways it's different i mean obviously you've got you've got different conversations because you're probably dealing with smaller organizations in terms of sponsors and um uh you know with 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 sort of premier league stuff you're probably dealing with bigger organizations but many of the conversations are are the same so i mean let me tell you a store a couple of stories that might illustrate that so so the thing to bear in mind is particularly with bigger organizations who, who are dealing with a big sponsorship whether it's premier league champions league world cup you know anything like that they've generally got a lot of different agencies communications agencies okay they've got they'll have a creating an agency an ad agency that makes ads for them they'll have a media buying agency that buys the media that they run the ads on they'll have a pr agency they'll have you know increasingly a sort of specialist digital agency whole bunch of these agencies right all of whom have got some sort of role and um many of these brands will also have a sports marketing agency um one of the one of the conversations that and i still get involved with it now I've just i've just done exactly this thing for a client the client um, and clients generally, but this particular club, I don't really have anybody in any of these agencies who really understands this club and football, ironically. Um, and they knew that this is something I've been doing for a while, so I, I helped them do it. It's harder with COVID, but I'll, I'll take you back to what I'll tell you one story, one of the first times I did it. So this was um, Wilkinson Sword uh, and Manchester United back in the, uh, it was 2001, 2002. Um, Wilkinson Sword were getting absolutely beaten up by Gillette in most places all over the world. And they wanted a sponsorship that would kind of talk to men all over the world and hopefully sell raises. Um, but they didn't have a lot of money. So it was a kind of really easy brief. <laughs> um, and what we did um, it, was, it was very interesting, actually. It was one of the first things to United had just, at Pete, this was in Peter Kenyon's time, and United had a warehouse full of mer- crap merchandise that, in no one, in, that no one would ever buy. Peter was very clear. Alarm clocks, duver, I mean, rubbish, absolute rubbish. <laughs> and, you know, and he's, he, he was very wise. And, well, look, we're, not, we're a football club. We're not good at this stuff. So as well as having a partner who kind of made their kit, they thought well, we need someone who knows this stuff, and we'll outsource it all to them. And they had, they were the first one; they outsourced everything to Nike, um, from soup to nuts. And so I I um, uh, we got involved in the negotiation with Nike, and we basically said, um, do you, does Manchester United want to get into the razor business?" And we we ended up launching. Manchester United razors in, I think, 25 countries. And it's still, the club still uses um, the, the Japan case study as one of its cases, great case studies. We sold two million razors in the first seven days that they went out in, in Japan. Um, primarily on the back of David Beckham, of course, was huge. But anyway, look, to get to, to, cut to the story, they, they had... Um, a lot of agencies, and, but but they didn't really have any anybody in those agencies who knew anything about football. So what I did was, um, we went up to and it's, it's it's wonderful just to think about going to a football match right now. But we went up to Old Trafford, and we spent a day behind the scenes of the club, talking to various people, um, finishing off with it at about five o'clock. Um, I got a fan in and he was, I'll never forget it actually. We talked to all kinds of people, we talked to commercial people at the club, we talked to different partners, all kinds of people, but this guy came in and he, and one of the things I'd said to Wilkinson Sword is you are dealing, what you've got to realise with is you're dealing with something that is as powerful as a religion. So there's all these people sat around the room, people from ad agencies, PR agencies, all these guys, most of whom have never actually been outside the M25 in some instances. This guy started talking about the club and he started talking about the fact that his father who who passed was never able to go back to Old Trafford after the Busby Babes. And this guy started to weep. You know, I was interviewing him and he started to weep and you could have heard a pin drop, right? And and I looked around and I thought, okay, these guys are starting to get it now. Because the whole point of it was to get them to understand that this wasn't something normal. This was something extraordinary. And they needed to understand the club and its fans and the psyche. So we did that for the day. And then in the evening, um, they all went to watch the game. And I said, right, we are not seeing in hospitality. Um, I'm taking... It's amazing that... I could, still it still was kind of fun that I did it, but I still do it now. I said, Ron, well, I'm taking your money off you. You're sitting in, in the ordinary seats. Um, You're going to have 20 quid, right? I want you, and then we come back afterwards and tell me what you bought, what it was like, what the experience was like, all that kind of thing. And it was quite an intense day, you know, day of sort of listening and then, you know, an evening where they weren't doing what they were normally doing, these, these people from all these agencies. But afterwards, the work that came out was really, really good. The advertising was really, really good. Everything was because they'd really got a sense of what Manchester United was a club, as a club was like, and what it was like being a fan of Manchester United in in this country. We did the same thing in different parts of the world, uh, which was interesting because the relationship was very different. You know with the club in other parts of the world. Um and, and the other thing actually that, that that showed um which is a which is even even more interesting now with the way the world was on is Nike knew more about Manchester United's fans than Manchester United did at the time. They'd done a lot of research you know it was a big deal there I think it was the first deal the guarantee was about 25 million quid a year and then on top of that they shared whatever they made with Manchester United. So they've done a lot of research into Manchester United fans worldwide. And frankly, what, what Nike, Nike did know more about United than United did, um, that changed. But, you know, so that kind of, you know, I, I'm still doing that kind of thing now because, um, it, you know, there's, there's sort of three sides to the triangle. There's the, there's, the, there's the sponsor, then there's the club, and then there's the fans because the club and the fans a lot of people think the club and the fans are the same they're not they're very different you know anybody who's a fan knows that you know love the club hate the board used to be <laughs> still is with yeah. a lot of people yeah. um but you know those are the three sides of the triangle and you need to under, to be able to understand those so to to answer your question there's um th- there are a lot of people involved in that kind of transaction mm. And when it, you know, and there's, there's getting the deal done, you know, which, which I get involved in a lot, helping brands with that, you know, so they get the right deal at the right money and they get the right things. And then there's all the stuff that comes after the deal, the activation in terms of the advertising and the PR. And that, you know, is, is an area where fan engagement, to coin a term, <laughs> the importance of understanding fans is really, really important.
0: Hi, I just want to take a quick moment to tell you about Matchday Digital, the world's first football-first digital magazine platform bringing together premium paid content from clubs, Matchday programmes, popular football magazines, newspapers and high-quality fan-produced fanzines. It's quite the list. Uh, Matchday Digital brings football content and supporters together in a single app which allows clubs and other publishers to deliver their content to a much wider audience than they would through their own print or digital sites and apps, all especially relevant, obviously, during this COVID era. You can download the app on Google Play and Apple Store. Go to matchdaydigital.co.uk for more. And if you're a club, drop the fellas over there a line. They're really friendly, and I'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs. Yeah, because that was, I mean, interestingly, that that um, I, I've sort of been having conversations obviously through this but also just more generally um talking with people in the industry in football itself I mean yeah. rather than sports marketing and a couple of people particularly have remarked on people coming uh, 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 brands or, or their representatives coming along and asking for either impossible things um there was one story about um a club being asked to um <laughs> To auction, to auction off the goalposts <laughs> during right. the season. Right. Another game. <laughs> there was nothing game in a couple of days. Okay. Like great idea. Where am I going to get another set of goalposts from? <laughs> and then just a, and then someone else sort of said, "Well, it's just this general frustration that um, when a, when 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 as a, a club not in the Premier League and not in the Championship." Uh, when we get approached, they just think of me. They think of the club that I'm I'm working at. And this guy's a really seller proper. proper, um, you know, he's 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 very highly rated in industry. Um, uh, uh, they just approach me as though I'm a a, 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 a London Premier League club, right? Um, yeah, because they just have you know sort of one set of language and
1: yeah.
0: Um, I mean, it is sort of. I mean, perhaps part of the problem is that, or part of the 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 calls is that. Premier League football, Champions League football is so ubiquitous. Um, you know, it's everywhere. It's plastered everywhere. It's literally on every day at the moment, obviously, because of COVID. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, I'm going to try not to use that word too many times in this. But, you know, because of that, we are, you know, we, 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 we're, we're constantly assailed by it almost. And we can't get away from it. And if you're not really bothered by that level of football in terms of watching it, which I'm not personally speaking, I, I only really care about my own club, if I'm totally frank with you. Yeah. <laughs> Then, um, um, then, then it's sort of you know I suppose it's bound to cause people to think, oh well, that's football. But even I, I don't know if I, you know what we end up seeing really is just the front end of it. So what I'm trying to, um, what I was going to sort of point out, which is slightly off piste, is you know everyone was going on about how extraordinary Barcelona is as a club, <laughs> More than a club. Then we find out actually it's 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 been shooting itself with a sawn-off shotgun. Uh, in the toes, uh, and uh, and it's on the verge of bankruptcy.
1: Yeah,
0: and you, and this is the problem that we get with 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 top class sport, isn't it? And and football particularly is we only see what we can really have the time to consume, and unless you dig into it, you never find this stuff out.
1: So yeah. that I
0: mean, I'm not really asking. Well, that person. again, that again
1: links that again links big clubs and small clubs because. Um, You know, in in football terms, someone like Barcelona is a very, very big deal indeed, right? But as a business, they're very small. You know, if you compare them to genuinely big businesses, they are very small enterprises. And um, for that reason, you know, if you overcommit and make mistakes with the business, which they have, you know, they, may, they might be a really, really big brand, but nobody can get, oh, if your business model is fundamentally flawed, which theirs is, because they've got commitments that they just cannot, cannot honour, um, then you run into a problem. So I think, I think actually that was, you know, no one likes to see a club in trouble, but I think it was a good reminder that, you know, th- these are not particularly, they're massive brands, huge brands, but they're not particularly big businesses, and therefore they can fail.
0: There's a guy, there's, there's some, there's someone I know actually um, I'll I'll name drop him because I've, he's, he's been someone that for me has been always spoken a huge amount of sense when it came to um, football, when it came to how it communicates itself and all sorts of things around, around football. And he, he's a guy called uh, Mark Jones and he, he's been a sort of activist on and off at Wimbledon um, and was involved in, in, in the reforming and all that kind of stuff. And he, he does design and uh, communication things. He said... Age. it was When we were in the midst of fighting this battle to, to stop out the franchising of Wimbledon at the time. And, um, and he said, look, you know, the thing is, the thing is, is you, you people see these businesses, see these clubs as, you know, as hyper as what well, as, as huge global businesses. Actually, you know, half the time I might be slightly twisting his words, then they're, they're kind of more like corner shops.
1: Yeah, I mean they are—they are small. They, are, in in global terms, they expensive. are not particularly big businesses. No, you
0: know. no. And I, t- I took to kind of trying to remind people of that—that uh, that even though you know we, we we might stand on even on the terraces of Halifax Town and look upon them as being this huge giant. <laughs> <they're
1: a small laughs> well, we're certainly world famous in Halifax.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're a relatively small concern. Now, yeah. this this all prevent this all makes sort of digging into the real sort of. Um, the real sort of goings, the 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 mechanics, um, and try, and actually understanding all of that psychology in there that you were talking about the fan. Yeah. Again, you know, I mean that that story of getting that bloke up and weeping while he was talking about his dad. You know, we could all talk about people who've done that. I could have a conversation with you about why I'm a Wimbledon fan. I'll probably end up in tears because yeah. I've written stuff about it and ended up in tears before because of my relationship with the club. Um, you know it is, is 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 this what you did then it is rare then for people to to take that level of insight is it still re- relatively rare and i don't, I'm not talking about you know I know you mentioned there was a particular agency you mentioned um, who someone else actually mentioned the ear to the ground you yeah. do a lot of analysis of 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 the type of influences that we see around sport now, but actually i'm talking about you know, you and me. Let's take away the fact that we're both obsessed with football, and that you work in sports marketing and sports communications, and I work in fan engagement, that kind of stuff. You know, are there are there not many people who come to who who would think to come to someone like us and say, "What is it like being a fan?" Then, because I well, I, there's, there
1: the There is far more um, focus on it now. Um, one, the um, you know, the world the world is changed markedly in the last year so everyone everyone's got to get better at everything and one of the things that sport is rightly worried about is will people come back you know because there's lots of very well proven stuff about behavioral sciences if people get out of the habit of something um, then it's very hard to get them back into the habit of it and you know there are you know, American sports worried about the decline in TV audiences for the big sports over there. Um, that's visible here as well. Not so much, but it's visible here as well. But, you know, there are, you know, so, so, so quite rightly, there are more people thinking about, right, okay, how do we get fans back? Um, but, but in general, there are a lot more people focusing on, trying to understand fans from different points of view i mean one of the, one of i mean it's, it's such an overused term now um, but there's a lot of focus on data right and the idea that fan data first party fan data if if a if a club a league whatever can can understand uh, as much as possible about its fans using Data about their behavior. The idea is that, that there's a gold mine right there. Now, there's a lot of people trying to sell picks and shovels right now on that. Um, we're going to find out whether that was true over the next five years um, because there is, you know, there's a, uh, a lot of art and science in this stuff, and you've got to put the two together. Um, but to, to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot more people thinking about the psyche of the fan and how you engage with the fan, um, particularly online now, um, and that is a good thing. That is a really, really good thing. What, what it will produce, we will see, but there are a lot, there are a lot more people thinking about it. So, so here's
0: an, a sort of slight, a, a, a slight tangent. Is um, it's it 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 always sort of um, interests me how. I think maybe we have an issue with it in, in, in England. I don't know about Scotland so much. Perhaps it is Britain. But the idea of um, it, taking that point about, look, it's more like a, a, a religion, almost an extreme form of religion, really, in many senses. Um, but the idea in, 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 um, in football, particularly, that you would end up, so you, you would actually end up taking direct action against the thing you love the most. You know, so we, en- we ended up, You know, boycotting, um, we ended up, you know, the last game we ever saw of Wimbledon Football Club turning our backs on the game, you know, and saying, We're not watching this, is out, we are telling you something by this. I mean, that sort of do you see that sort of that level of it's you know, active activism, it's 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 kind of political activism, it's what I it was, it was the branch of if you like football and fan engagement I came through, was that area that, that part of it. Does does any other? Do you see that in any other?
1: Um... I'm seeing it about one issue at the moment in particular. So, yeah. um, I can't say who it was, but but a club who potentially could be involved in the Super League asked me to help them do some research about what fans thought of it. Um, both fans who were fans of Super League club potentially Super League clubs, and I'm putting Super League in inverted commas, because I, I think it's anything but a super idea. I think it's a dreadful idea. Mm. Um, but they asked me to look at it um, from the point of view of, of su- Super League fans and non-Super League fans. And what was really interesting was the the level of antipathy towards the Super League from both Super League club fans and non-Super League club fans. You know, one, what the, um, there was one, one particular... Um, I think it was a Liverpool fan um, Liverpool weren't the club I hasten to add who asked me to look at this but a Liverpool a Liverpool fans were particularly vociferous about this in their antipathy to the Super League but you know the guy said in, in effect well they can all bugger off you know and, we'll, and leave real football to us and we'll go and do something else you know that is real football because this will not you know and he was saying Again, there were others saying things like, "Well, how can we turn our back on you know the European Cup?" Um, so, I detected real, real activism about that. This is this is something that um, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to use the word in a pejorative sense in the, the, the real fans versus non-real fans because everyone's a fan, right? But core fans, people who are deeply passionate about the games, I can see if the, if the Super League, and I don't think it will, I think it's just poker. As usual, it's poker between the big clubs and anyway, UEFA, but there was a real sense of activism about that. So, um, you know, for sure, fans can get, can mobilise very quickly about things, and we see it all the time. If, if something happens that enough fans don't like, then, you know, you get a movement. It's whether it's a sustainable movement, is the question
0: because it's a very distinct thing from um, um you know for some reason that you know the sport of tennis pops up you know if you said
1: we're going to create an elite
0: well if you sort of thinking if you say you know elite tournament involving the best players in the world and goes brilliant great idea that's the bit perhaps where that you know the missing insight can sometimes be shown up even more is you know, because they're dealing with, a, you know, export here, badminton, netball, whatever you want, you know, because these sports are not. I mean, that's, that's not fair to say with tennis, but because football is so ubiquitous, um, you take it for granted. You, I suppose you just sort of take it for granted that it is, it is also just a sport. A lot of people will yeah. look at it as a sport. Um, yeah, but the big major difference is, is it's a deeply conservative it's also a deep amongst, you know, and I do I, I agree with you that I, I think of fans in concentric circles and I think of the block in the middle who live close yeah. or who go regularly who make it more attractive for those on the outer outer circles to want to come or to be fans of them in you know in India.
1: Yeah.
0: And be yeah. as loyal, perhaps. But but um but there's still there's still this ingrained, you know, there has to be. Conservatism is something we all We all demonstrate in various ways, because otherwise we'd want change all the time. We don't. We like things to be as they are sometimes. Yeah. Perhaps people doing sports communications as a general thing. I'm not going to just pick on marketing. um, They they look at football and say, well, it's you know the first thing they see it's it's sport. But yeah, (laughs) if you don't understand the roots of it, you're not you're not going to be able to get away with. Even though, as you said, the stuff about the Super League and most people agree was a, was a lot of uh, you know it was a lot of poker it was a lot of attempt to shift you ate the dial on on yeah. things with wafer. but that can still bleed into the way you then treat clubs when you're approaching them on on branding and then the idea that you might get a fan in the middle of a meeting like you talked about <laughs> yeah. and actually get these people to understand this very simple psychology that we're basically in love with these things that disappoint us all the time <laughs> yeah. we, we don't leave them that might but there isn't really a quick there's no quick fire answers is there it's just there's an education process people need to sort of in those areas of communication need to they need to start i don't want to i want you know they're professionals i don't want to be rude about them but they need to start listening a bit more to to that oh yeah message. i mean if
1: you're going to try and if you're going to try and sell stuff to people you need to understand them it's it's a it's a simple Quantum, you know. Um, But it does, I mean, it does amuse me um, to to watch it go wrong and, you know, go back to that thing about what, you know, the meeting. I mean, my favourite of all, actually, going back to all the agencies around the, you know, all, all the agencies around the table, and you do tend to find that when it goes wrong, more often than not, it's these days, it's either a PR agency or a social media agency, you know. So we had a classic in rugby not very long ago where you had someone thought it was a good idea for British Airways to wish England good luck against Wales in the Six Nations or the, you know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, uh, you know, on social media, you know, well done, everyone. Um, congratulations. But my favourite in football, actually, was, do you remember when Barclay Card was sponsors of the Premier League, the Chant Laureate, do you remember that? I so, very
0: vaguely remember, <laughs> yes.
1: Well, so, it was... I, their, you know, I still use it as a case study actually um, for for clients um, as kind of you know this is what success looks like this is what failure looks like in this instance so so the, the, the insight was actually could have been quite interesting but they just went, they just went the wrong way with it so the insight is fans come up with their own chance on the terraces right how does that happen right and actually i've done a lot of um, Work on that because I've done. I've done some work with clients around it, um, and it's a, it's you know it, it, it basically boils down to with most clubs there are a group of people, and generally speaking, a, 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 it's it's a, it's in pubs, and these things are created there. But it's generally a group of people who do it, and. Uh, and we all know them, and they they, they are—they're one of the things that I love the most about football. They're brilliant. So Barclay Card and their PRAs, i sort of want to get. So the uh, the idea turned into we are going to a, a, to appoint a chant laureate, right? So you know exactly when you hear that <laughs> a poet laureate, you know you're dealing with people, oh, <laughs> right? Who <laughs> probably aren't hardcore football fans. We're gonna appoint someone and he's going to write chance for each club, right?
0: Oh, that's a, such a lovely thing to do. Oh
1: it? yeah. So of course, you know, <laughs> first reaction was, sorry, say that again. Second reaction was, so and I think they appointed the guy from West Brom or Birmingham, one of the Midlands clubs, anyway, It's Like, well, sorry, he's gonna write chance that's about the, us. That's the village, <laughs> And they were all crap and the thing the thing was terrible right but what was interesting was it won loads and loads of PR awards as you know as like best football PR campaign of the year and I, I still got it I printed out I remember when the BBC um, you know story came out about it and there were literally thousands of comments by fans underneath it just hurling abuse at this idea. <laughs> and 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 you know, and that's kind of, you know, that that is for me the ultimate, you know, that's that's how because it theoretically that could have been a good idea. Still now could have been there's something very interesting about that. It goes to the heart of fan culture. But beware, if you get into that territory, you've got to be really, really you've got to really understand fan culture and you've got to come up with something that everyone likes. And that's not easy. Right. So that, you know, that, that for me is always is always a very interesting case. Today. And the fact that the industry was so blind about what it actually did was made Barclay Card a laughingstock among fans. And yet the agency was garlanded. <laughs>